Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal series, five wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, and Susan's latest book, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at the Wise Woman University. But you can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Rebecca. Hi, good evening, Susan. Hey, I am so excited that I get to talk to Isla Burgess this evening. Isla Burgess is one of my favorite people in the whole world, one of my favorite herbalists, and she is an extraordinary, extraordinary person. We have known each other for close on to 40 years now. And it's just been a marvelous, marvelous relationship. And so stay with us at 9 o'clock. Isla Burgess is going to be calling from New Zealand, where she lives, where it's already tomorrow. And she'll be talking to us about the amazing work that she does with plants and her new book, 
which um, is, uh, where's the title of her new book here? Um, the Biophilic Garden and her first yeah. book, Weeds Heal. <laughs> what a great title. What have you yeah, to this? interrelated. I love the, I have. Go ahead. And that's to, like our relationship, how we want to be close to other living beings. And yeah, it's, it's a cool, a, a cool idea. <laughs> totally, totally. So you've been settling into your new digs this week. Yeah, it's a lot of work to move, you know, and like even just uh, being <laughs> being in the house, like all these little things that you that we need, you know, getting uh, getting just adjusted to a new space. So, yeah, I'm not sure where I heard it, but it has stayed with me for a very long time. And somebody said to me that the Buddha talks about the ten thousand things of daily existence. Mm. Right? Doesn't it seem like that? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it just and it doesn't. I just like keep waiting for you know to be like settled a little bit, but it's like every time I get to that point, it's like okay, you got to get up and keep going, you know. So keep going, keep going. <laughs> keep going. Yeah. So, health, but it's great. It's good life show. Mhm. Go ahead. Oh yeah, it's right, a bigger little, little space delayed. here. And Oh yeah, it's a bigger space here, and it's going to be a really good space for our family to settle into, and to, we won't have to move for a long time. So that's it's really great that we got this opportunity. Mm-hmm. All right, hooray! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really enjoying myself dropping in Durga Bernhardt's illustrations into the chapters. And every once in a while, I'll read something and I'll go, oh, how could my readers have let me say that? That's just pure gibberish. And I have to <laughs> rewrite a whole paragraph. <laughs> oh, that reminds me. I still have to send an envelope because I want to read what you've been writing. So. <laughs> send me an I'll envelope and, and we'll get some out to you. Yeah. So we're now predicting that this book will be published by this time next year. It will be a Halloween baby. Mm, cool. Yay. Powerful time of the year. We're just entering Scorpio today. It's my sign. Uh-huh. <laughs> interesting, interesting, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And, and yeah, this weekend I'm gonna be digging roots. We have our digging roots class. It's always the uh, end of October. The, that we go out and dig roots, and I was actually thinking today that uh, I should uh, make it dig roots and harvest seeds because I'm doing a lot of seed harvesting right now as well. Mm, yeah, I've been and thinking about getting more seeds myself. Yeah, we're just just starting to get into really cold nights. Mhm. Yeah, we've had a really really warm fall here. It's kind of crazy. It's like in the 60s today. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is warm. Yeah, and like no rain. And it was supposed to rain today, but it hasn't yet. So it's all talk and no show. <laughs> oh, it's dry out there, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. So we're we're praying for rain and, uh, yeah, yeah, just waiting. It's usually pretty wet this time of year. <clears throat> But I did, um, I wanted to say, because last year we had talked about the quince, and I've just been using so much quince. Just to, I'm, 
really in cooking and I also made like this face cream with it and stuff. But um, basically I feel like you can do anything with quince that you can do with applesauce. So my youngest son loves to bake. And so I've just been, I cook down a quince bread, quince cake, quince uh, cookies, quince everything. And then I like made like a roast yesterday with quince in it. And yeah, so, but we've been doing lots with quince. Wow. Wow, yeah, wow. Yeah. So delicious. And then, like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's so good, like, topically, too. Like I said, I made the face cream with it, and, like, you can just infuse it into, like, witch hazel or, yeah, or you could probably even do, like, a vodka extraction with it for, like, a face spray or something. But it's so, like, yeah. astringent, and it's, like, a really good scent. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's astringent, and then it has pectin, and that pectin helps plump up, up the skin. Yeah, yeah, it's it is so good. I love the smell of it. I love the taste of it, and and then I just heard recently that they say that it might be like in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit was actually they say might may have been a quince instead of a. Yeah, because it's such an old fruit. It is, but I don't think that it grows well where it doesn't frost. Yeah, it's. I saw um, it is native to Asia, actually, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Mountainous areas. Another name for it. And so it's like in the the southern hemisphere, I think. And Asia is not the southern hemisphere. Well, I mean, like Membrio, though, like down in like... Um, uh, um, like Peru and and those areas too. It's it's used. Aha! Uh-huh. Again, mm-hmm. Peru has mountains. Right. Yeah, it's true. It gets really cold there. Exactly, and that's the thing in Costa Rica. They can't grow apples in Costa Rica because most of the fruits in that family require freezing temperatures during the winter in order to fruit the next year. Oh right. Okay. They do have some apples that are more heat, they're called heat tolerant apples. Most apples have to have a certain number of hours and it's a big number of hours at below 20 degrees. Hmm. Yeah, I remember and seeing so apples heat, like the Caribbean the but they always look will bear when they when they don't have that much. You still have to have some, but not that much. So they, they can be grown in the more tropical but mountainous areas. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, always more to find out about <laughs> Quince. It's interesting. Next of... year for my um, Healthy Life show, HealthyLife.net, I'm going to be focusing on fruit. So I'll have 12 months, oh, yeah? 12 months. Different fruits. Mm. And, of course, the uh, the family that includes apples and quince and cherries and pears and plums and apricots is going to be featured as mm. in one of those months. Mm-hmm. So if you're liking this show and you don't know that I have a different show at HealthyLife.net, which is an hour-long show. And I usually focus on one or two herbs in that hour so you get a really thorough um, 
amount of information. I start out with news notes, and then we segue into the herbs. I'm just finishing up two years of focusing on herbs that are adaptogens. And the last show that you did was on dairy products. I listened to that, and I was just going to ask you if you remember that was um, the health benefits that was the most recent one on dairy products. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's October's Dream. show. It should it's available at healthylife.net right now. There's no charge. You can just go to healthylife.net and listen to it. And it's it's about um, whey and colostrum. All right, the the kind of let's call them unusual dairy products. Mhm. And do you remember and you where that fresh- study? Did? Yeah, you you quoted a study from that on that show, but I'll, maybe I can just go back and listen to it because I was trying to find the study and that was the most recent one on like the health benefits of uh, of dairy. <clears throat> right, but it's not on the health benefits of dairy. It was it was about whey, colostrum, and butter. Okay, I thought there was a study that I don't you talk about quoted. milk. I don't talk about yogurt. I don't talk about cheese. Mm-hmm. Is what most people think when you say dairy. Right. And I don't say a word about those because those are not antigens, but butter and colostrum mm-hmm. and whey are. Now, I'm not sure what study you're talking about. Um, One of the articles that I was um, reading from is an article that was in the New York Times called Got Milk, and it's a review of a book called Milk, a 10,000-Year Food Fracas by Mark Kurlansky. Mhm. That wasn't it. It was out of a, I think, some a different journal. But I'll go back and listen. Okay. So I was interested to find. Okay, sounds good. All right. So if you can give get me a little something a little more specific, I can be a little more specific. Would you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. The the most recent. Um, I don't see that I, um, you know, because it's a, a, a radio show, I often don't give the specifics about the research as I would when I was writing. Um, and I, there's um, an article called Higher Dairy Intake Linked to Lower Cardiovascular Risk by Kelly Young. Okay. And it's a report about the study of over 130,000 people aged 35 to 70 who were free of cardiovascular disease when they began the study, and they followed them for nine years, and they found that eating more than two servings of dairy daily was associated with a lower risk of cardiovascular disease, in other words, heart attack or stroke, compared with no dairy intake. Hmm. More than one serving of milk or yogurt, but not butter or cheese, were each associated with significantly reduced risk for cardiovascular problems. The researchers say our study suggests that consumptions of full-fat dairy products should not be discouraged and perhaps should be encouraged in low-income and middle-income families. 
cheese Good intake stuff. is not specifically associated with outcomes, but dairy consumption was associated with lower risk of overall mortality and lower risk of major, major cardiovascular disease events. This was a diverse mm-hmm. multinational cohort of people. So in other words, what they're saying is this was not just a group of white people. Mm-hmm. Because that often comes up on those studies too. Yeah, well, about how many people of color did they have in the study? And so I see that they are specifically telling us that they included a lot of different people in the study. Do we have anybody looking for any answers today? We do. We have about four people waiting with questions, but a lot of people on the line. If you have a question for Susan, please press 1 to ask her a question. And we'll go to our first caller in the 845 area code. Hello, Hello, 845. Are you there? Hi. Hi, I'm here. Thank you so much. Hi, Susan. I hope you're well. Um, You've spoken to me a couple of times, but back in February you spoke to me about um, an issue I had with my bladder. And I, I do take herbal infusions, and I think I eat pretty close to the way you always suggest. Actually, I modify it a little bit every time I, I listen to one of your programs or read stuff from you. But um, the question I had for you is similar to the one I had for you back in February. I thought that I had a urinary tract infection, and um, you'd given me some advice on some things to do. One of them was uh, having corn silk tea, and I just asked you recently about how much to take. But I'm wondering if there's anything else I can do, because I I haven't so, been... I, I um, want to interrupt med- you for a moment. Please do. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, how much rice do you take? Not that much. Um, maybe hey, I well, have. But I'm not. I'm not so much interested in the word rice. I'm interested in the word take. Most people don't uh, take rice. Most people eat. eat rice. Yes. About two cups a week. Most people don't take rice. They eat rice. I'm not interested in the rice. I'm interested in the take. Take. Uh, take. Okay. Sorry, I'm a little. How much <laughs> rice you take? Not because I'm interested in rice, but because I have a problem with your saying that you are taking nourishing herbal infusions like this, some kind oh, of drug. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm drinking them up. <laughs> You're drinking them. That's it. You're drinking them. And there's no my favorite thing. corn silk. I'm, 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 drink, I'm sorry. I hate when I say the wrong words. I'm drinking it's not the my- wrong word. It's a word that I jump on because I see how we have been conditioned to think yes. of things that we do for our health as drugs. Yeah, you're right. Right down to the, I don't eat well, so I'm going to take some drugs called supplements. Yep. So I counter wherever I can the impression that nourishing herbal infusions are drugs or that corn silk is drugs or that we take those things. Because mm-hmm. take what you do to a drug. You take a drug. And it sounds disrespectful now that you bring it out to me a little bit. And Isla will tell us a lot more about that. Isla talks about 
how when she's out with somebody and they're looking at plants and she says, somebody says, oh, what's that? And she says, oh, it's this and that. And the person says, oh, what do you use it for? And like she, you have- she says, it just suddenly struck her as how incredibly rude that was. She said, wow. You know, what if I said, hi, here's my friend Sally. And you said, oh, what do you use her for? Right. <laughs> so, and I, I again, I, it's not you. It's a, a more general issue of how we are conditioned to think that herbs are drugs, and mm-hmm. they they can be. But nourishing herbal infusions aren't, and corn silk isn't, and it doesn't matter how much corn silk you drink. Yes, you made that really clear. And, you know, I didn't really like it that much at first. And now it's like a, my go-to tea sometimes. It's it's funny. I, I, I love the stuff. But I'm just wondering, Susan, um, and thank you for, the, for, for bringing that to my attention, because it might be so, even subconsciously I'm like, well, I'm taking this for my health. But exactly, I should really, exactly. really nourish ourselves. Yeah. So you're still yeah. feeling like you have a bladder infection. Well, you know, what I'm scared of is I really, and this may sound really naive, I'm actually going to get a culture and urinalysis done just to see. I don't think I have an infection. I really don't feel like I have an infection. What I feel is pressure, and I'm 62, and my mom keeps telling me, well, that's what happens, you're going to feel that. But I just feel like something's off, and you actually helped me um, uh, maybe a month or so ago with talking about constipation, and and I thought maybe that had something to do with it. And you got me doing my delicious salads after my meals, and I cleared that right up, and now it's just more of a habit again. So I thank you for that. But I wonder if those things, if you could just speak to something that I don't know. I, I don't really know what it is. Maybe something related there. Well, no. And let me tell you why. Because basically, you're asking me to talk about something that doesn't exist. Okay. You think there might be something going on with your bladder, but you don't actually think you have a bladder infection, but you have enough concern about it that you are going to enter the medical profession. Well, I'm not going to let them do anything to me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, wait a minute. (laughs) Once you set your foot in the door, if they do that culture and they find any kind of organisms in there, you are going to have to fight for your life not to take antibiotics. Well, I won't unless I mean, I'm dying, I guess. They might be good in some cases, but... So why first... are you going for this culture? Because I figured then I would know, like, if I should be taking certain tinctures, because then I'd know, okay, I've got an infection, and, and honestly, Susan, so let me I'm going to really... If I've you were to choose an anti-infective herb, like yarrow tincture, or uber right. tincture, and you were to take that... What harm would come to you? You mean if I didn't have an infection? None, mm-hmm. probably. Correct. Okay. I didn't think that I should do that. Like, I always feel like I should What I'm saying that. is that from where I stand, treating right. yourself as though you have a bladder infection and taking yarrow or uva ursi tincture, a dropper full twice a day for seven to ten days, is yes. a lot safer than going to the doctor. 
Okay. It's just a lot, lot safer. It's not like either one of those tinctures is going to hurt you. They're not drugs. They don't have those kinds of side effects. Well, I'm so happy. I'm actually digging out the Uva Ursi while I'm talking to you because I was afraid to go and do it before I knew it. And and maybe maybe that's fine. We're we're not talking about taking, you know, teaspoonful of Uva Ursi for the rest of your life here. We're talking about taking a dropper full morning and night for 10 days. Right. Okay. Even if it was golden seal, you couldn't really hurt yourself too much with a dropper full morning and night for 10 days, then could you? I, I, I wasn't sure, so I'm, I'm really glad that you're saying this, and I hope it's helping other people too. Cause well, I was, let me I direct you and other people to the front matter in my books. And the front matter in my books always has a section called Using Herbs Safely. And it has some general information about using herbs safely. And then it says, nourishing herbs, the safest of all herbs. Nourishing herbs may be taken in any quantity for any period of time. They are foods like leafy greens, garlic, and carrots, providing high-level nutrients. And then I list those. The nourishing herbs in this book are, and then I list the nourishing herbs in this book, tonifying herbs. Act slowly in the body and have a cumulative rather than immediate effect. They are most beneficial when used in small quantities for extended periods of time. Side effects are slightly more common with tonics, but note that many herbalists equate stimulating herbs with tonics, thus leading to unwanted side effects. The more bitter the tonic tastes, the less you need to take of it. Bland tonics are more like nourishing herbs. Here are some tonics used in this book. Stimulating, sedating herbs cause a wide variety of usually rapid reactions, some of which may be unwanted. Long-term use can lead to dependency, so sedating, stimulating herbs are best used in moderate doses for fairly short periods of time. Side effects are frequent. There may be loss of tone or a rebound effect when the herb is no longer taken. Some parts Mm. of the person may be stressed in order to help other parts. Some of the stimulating, sedating herbs in this book include uva ursi. So uva ursi is a stimulating, sedating herb. So we do not want to use it long term. Mm -hmm. in a moderate dose for a fairly short period of time, and that's listed in the front of every one of my books. Except for the green book, which has only seven plants. Okay. So that helped. That's probably what cured me the last time, because that's what you told me to do, and I bought it, and I did it, and I was just afraid to break those guys out again, because I... I was an idiot. But you know what? Okay, I but they're not think... guys. What? They're not guys. I know. They're they're wonderful ladies or they're just wonderful plants. And plants, thank the you. green blessings. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So thank I'm you. not sure why you're afraid of Uva Ursi. And what I'm saying is that Uva Ursi is no more dangerous than getting in your car and driving to the supermarket. Okay. Okay. Huh? And I Need a doctor to tell me to take it. I mean, well, that that they wouldn't, but that's besides the point. That's what you're saying. 
that is what you're saying, that I can't take over Ursi until I go and get a doctor's approval. Exactly. And I'm saying, why? Well, I mean, exactly what I'm I was saying. saying why? Why do we need a doctor involved here? Yeah. I'm treating these things, well, they are medicines, but I'm treating them like they're medicines like we would get from the pharmacy that are dangerous. And I treat them like drugs, is what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. And 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 they're not drugs. Well, no disrespect. I just need to. No, no, I'm not in any way saying that you you are showing any disrespect. No, no disrespect to the plants, too, especially, you know. Anyway, Susan, thank you so much. And I'm hoping this just goes away. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a copy of Down There? I do have a copy of Down There. It's in the Adirondacks. You may want to go and just read what the bladder has to say. I definitely will do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 508 area code. Hi, Susan. It's Luna. Hi, Luna. How are you? Well, how about you? I am actually doing pretty good. Um, I have three things I wanted to talk about. One is um, today I was listening to a past radio show um, of yours. I'm trying to think the name. Uh, you were talking to Gabriella. She did a documentary about her trip to Antarctica. And she was talking about um, getting in touch um, with your feminine moon time. And you had spoken up to her and made it clear that it's the difference between female and, or feminine and female. Yeah. And (laughs) I'm 39 years old and I just got that because I heard you say it clearly but I really didn't get the drift at first. And I wanted to tell you thank you for speaking up to her and making it clear to everyone that was listening. And I had asked my 16-year-old daughter today, I was like, do you know the difference between feminine and female? And um, she said, of course. And she showed me a picture of a female and then somebody who's feminine. Wow. And I said, I'm way older than you, and you know more than me. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so cool that it clicked. So it made a lot of things real for me. Yes, that feminine is a social construct and that it changes. A hundred years ago, little boys were dressed in pink because it's the color of a of Mars red, but babied mm-hmm. up pink. So boys were to wear pink because it was the color of war and bloodshed. Hmm. That's what a, that's a social construct, right? Yeah. 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 That's a social construct. It's like, I mean, we hear it now. We're like, Oh no, pink is for girls. But a hundred years ago, it was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so these are social wow. constructs. However, a hundred years ago, a female was a female. A thousand years ago, a female was a female. It is not a social construct. It's mm-hmm. genetics. It's your genes. You got double X, right. and every single cell, you're female, whether you're feminine or not. Right. Yep. Right. <laughs> Thanks for sharing well, that with us. You're welcome. Um, second thing is, um, 
I called you a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, actually, and um, talked to you about narcolepsy and how I was feeling pretty bad and wanted to give up and just leave the world. Yes. And um, the things that you had said to me had really um, hit my heart and got me thinking. And I went ahead and did a new moon meditation and told myself, look, I've got to feel better. I've um, got to live life. And I got to find a way to be happy. And um, anyway, I just pretty much told myself that I don't have narcolepsy and I just refused not <clears throat> what's the word I didn't um oh what's the word um push up against it and just say oh you really don't exist you know and issues with it but were was just really I accepted it but then said no I'm not doing this anymore I haven't had an episode since then And um, mind medicine is pretty astonishing, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's really cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, my, you know, the only thing that I have issues with with that is just driving. Sometimes I get sleepy, but it's not like I'm going to go to sleep. So I've Mm -hmm. had all this Mm -hmm. energy and been able to do things that I haven't been able to do in a long time and just just going with it and um, resting when I need to rest and just really paying attention to what my body is saying to me. And I think that's what the whole thing was, was my body was saying, Hey, I need you to slow down and, and recognize that and actually do it. Oh. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. Hooray another- for you. Yeah, and the yeah. thing that really helped me was, you're, you might get a laugh out of this, but I just got two goats around the same time. And I've been reading Healing Magic, and um, she talk, the author talks about how it's very important to spend time with animals and speak with them and really hear them. I have a lot of animals, but these two goats, I've spent so much time just sitting with them and listening with them and they've really helped me throughout this entire process where if I feel that I am going to get tired I go right to the goats and I sit down in the middle of the field with them and one kind of bumps her head up against me because they like to butt right and she's basically yes they are um, that was not my choice. That was the previous owner's choice. Um, but um, they, she butt up against me and was basically, I felt her just say, get up, you're okay. Like, Let's go play, you know? I'm like, okay. Oh, my gosh. And it's, only, it's only one that does it. And I named um, them Satsuki and May, and it's from um animated movie called Tortoro. And um, there's sweet two sweet little girls and they're only seven months old the goats and so I really really think that goats are special and can really speak loudly to you if you listen and 
I absolutely there, agree with you. As a matter of fact, I believe that that if everyone spent time with goats, there would be no more depression. Yeah, I true. double I double dare anybody to be depressed after spending time with the goats. <laughs> <laughs> They're just too you might silly. get a little just angry. Funny. They're just too <laughs> yummy. They're they're beautiful and they all have their own character. But um yeah, so I'm very thankful that I had gotten them and um have them in my life cuz every morning when I get up I'm so happy that I get to go outside and be with them. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, have something to look forward to. Um the third thing was um when I breathe in. My right lower ribs um, in the back and in the front hurt. And I've been told um, about a year ago that I do have nod- benign nodules on my lungs and that I'm supposed to get regular, every three months, regular um scans and I just don't get them but um, I'm trying to listen to my body and not freak out and think that it's something terrible like cancer but I wanted to relieve that because it's really hard when I breathe in like oh yeah that hurts <laughs> and um, I've been even, a, even a normal breath hurts very deep breath okay mm-hmm. it's only on the right yep so why aren't we thinking liver? Because it seems to, would it be too high up to be liver? Liver is under your rib cage. Okay. Your liver and your kidneys are protected by your ribs. Those are sacks of blood, those organs, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen a liver. You've seen a liver for sale. Yeah. It's got to be behind your ribs. Otherwise, (laughs) you walk past the table and you'd smash your liver. Hmm. You know how you walk past the table and hit your hip on it? Yes. Well, if your liver was just hanging down there, you'd do the same thing to your liver and kill yourself. It can't be. Now, if your liver is inflamed or enlarged, it can protrude. Or when you're standing upright, it will hang a little down below the rib cage. But what I was taught was... To check on the health of your liver, you lay on your back and you take the fingers of your right hand and you curl them under your rib cage and you should be able to get at least the first joint of your fingers under the rib cage before they hit the liver. Okay. In general, the body seems to choose between benign nodules and cancer. Mm -hmm. The medical profession can't seem to tell the difference very well, and so they get very freaked out. But, for instance, women with uh, fibrous cysts in their breasts, fibrocystic breasts, have less breast cancer. Hmm. So... My sense would be, oh, good. I don't have to worry about lung cancer because I have these nodules in my lungs. (laughs) Okay. 
right? My body's going to do that. Rather than make a cancer, it is going to make a nodule to deal with whatever's going on. Mm-hmm. So, and I love the logic of the medical profession. There are nodules in your lungs. We're worried that it might be cancer. So we're going to expose your lungs to radiation every three months until you get cancer. I tell them that I don't want to, and I tell them the reasons, and they say that I'm overthinking it. What and does she that said, mean? She what does that me, mean? I could, that I sounds could like a put down. That does not it. sound like an actual answer. No. You are overthinking it? Well, yes, this is a thought. Are they saying <laughs> to you, just trust daddy, little girl? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we know what's best for you. That's what it sounds like. That's what it sounds like to me. And they did a really interesting study some years back now, maybe eight or nine years ago. They trained men and women to go to doctors and say that they had these symptoms, so that the men and the women all had a script that they followed where they talked about the symptoms. It's not like the women said, oh, I have this terrible headache, it's blinding, and the men went in and said, sometimes I have headaches. No, they both, the men and the women, said the same things. The men, by and large, were taken seriously, were treated with respect, and the women, by and large, were told it was all in their heads, that they were overthinking it. There is. There is bias in medicine. Let's be clear. There is bias. Certainly, I know many medical professionals are working to change this. Nonetheless, this is a culture-deep bias. It's not just what one individual does. And, you know, we, we talk about how women play into it as well. Mm-hmm that we do accept and, and buy these things. That, right. oh, well, maybe I really am overthinking it. After all, I'm just a girl. <laughs> Not supposed to think at all now, am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Right. <laughs> so I tend to... If I'm going to be involved with the medical profession, I do not want to be involved in an adversarial way, even though I maybe don't want to do what they want me to do. But I mm-hmm. want, but I like to ask them questions like um, about how rapidly does lung cancer grow? Right. Right. Are we really talking that that you could have a lung cancer get big enough to metastasize and threaten your life in a three-month period? I don't think so. I'm not a medical professional. I'm not saying it it is or isn't, but I don't think so. It doesn't seem right to me. Does it to you? No. No. That's why I refuse to go and do the things that they're telling me to do. Yeah, what you're doing is refusing. And what I'm saying is rather than refuse, that we can say, what is the normal growth rate of lung cancer? What are we looking at here? 
right? You seem to be concerned about this, right? And you're saying every three months, I don't want to do this every three months. I want to know more about the specifics of what you're concerned about. Right. Why would you advise me to do this thing? Tell me what's, what, you know, right? Give me some studies. Tell me about this. Show me some studies that show that nodules go on to become lung cancer. Did they show you that? Um, they said that, and then they said um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that they wanted to keep doing every three months so they could catch the lung cancer early. So basically early detection. And I don't really know how that works because you can't really detect it no matter what early. <laughs> right? I, I don't know how they think earlier. that they can do that. Earlier is what they're yeah. You can yeah. get it early the way you're doing it by being in touch with your body. So, yeah. again, what I'm suggesting is that rather than dismissing them out of hand, say, Wow, this is really fascinating. I know very little about this. Can you direct me to some medical publications or studies that will help me be informed about nodules in the lungs? Okay. And how did you discover there were nodules in your lungs? I couldn't breathe very well and was concerned. And I normally do not go to the doctor, and it takes a lot for me to go. And I was very concerned, so I allowed them to do one scan, and of course it came back, and I had quite a few of them. Was that a CAT scan, an MRI, a PET scan? CAT scan. A PET scan? CAT scan. A CAT scan, okay. So um, that, that was it, and then I kept getting, like, phone call after phone call saying you need to come in, you need That's, to come in. Well, I, yeah, do you hear me talk to, to the woman who was going to go get um, a urine culture done, and I told her that she would have to fight f- for her life not to take antibiotics, that they would hound her? Yeah, yeah. They're not I'm not making this up, right? No, no, you're not. They're going to hound you. They, they, once you set foot into that system, they want you yeah. to do it their way. Uh-huh. And there are certainly, and reasons. There are certainly yeah. reasons to enter that system, but we need advocates, we need our power, we need to be willing to say, I'll think about this, I'll get back to you in three days, I'll get back to you in a week, whatever you need, I'll think about it. All right, but we do not have to agree the moment right then to what is being put in front of us, because let's face it, we're probably frightened. Yeah, yeah. Right? You've been having some yeah. problems breathing. You go, you know, you ask for a CAT scan. You didn't mm-hmm. allow it. You ask for it. Yeah. You yeah. wanted it. It's fine. You can ask for things. You can mm-hmm. say put extra cheese on my hamburger. That's fine. <laughs> you know? What do I, say? I allowed them to put cheese on my hamburger. No, you didn't allow them. You asked for it. And that's You're good. Because right. you wanted to know. But th- that brought up fear. And then when they said, oh, well, no, you don't have lung cancer, but you have these nodules which can turn into cancer, it's like the fear went away and then it came back twice as hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's not a good place from which to make any decision, either yes or no. 
Maybe mm-hmm. when you find out what's going on with this, maybe you do want to go and have a lung x-ray every six months or every year. I don't know because I don't know very much about nodules in the lungs. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't feel comfortable like when, when I go uh, to the doctor at all. Like they always use the fear tactics and try to scare me into making a decision right then and there. And I, I, you're right. Like that's like the worst, worst time to make way to act on anything. That's and, right. So we and, all need you know, to learn to say, "I need to get back to you on this." Yeah. Let well, me get back they, to you on this. I'm not ready to make a decision right now. I need to get back to you. Yeah, on this. They prescribe me a bunch of drugs, and it could it could be asthma, it could be this, it could be that. Take this to just make sure. Blah blah blah. And in I while are it. you taking? Um, things that are good for the lungs. I'm drinking Mullen infusion. All right. Yay, Mullen infusion. Is that yeah. changing how you feel when you breathe? This started off yeah. because you were having a hard time breathing. Mm-hmm. It, when, when I came home from the doctor, I made um, an infusion and the next day drank it and instantly started feeling better. So oh, I, I usually try to have that once a week. Or when I'm feeling kind of... Excellent. Given what's going on with you, if I were in your situation, I would have a cup of mullein milk daily. Okay. And remember that that it's not really going to have the same effect if you don't do it with milk. Right, yep. Okay. Yeah. Ella Campaign Tincture... Mm-hmm. is also an excellent ally for people who are having a difficulty breathing. You may have, have heard me, of that. You yeah. may have heard me tell this very, to me, funny story of visiting a lover's family, and her father had emphysema. And almost as soon as I walked in the house, he was on me to give him an herb to cure his emphysema. And I kept saying, emphysema is not curable. It's like you blow up a balloon and you pop it. That's it. It's popped. You're not going to stick some herb on that balloon and get it to work again. But the man was persistent. I'll give him, you know, high, highest possible marks on persistence. And finally, just to get him to leave me alone, I gave him a dropper full of elecampane tincture in a little water. And within 15 minutes, the man was walking up and down the stairs of his split-level home and said he hadn't been able to do that in years. <laughs> Wonderful. Wow. So ever since then, I have always really cherished Ella Campaign for its ability to help people breathe. I'm looking at him and going, whoa. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I will do that this evening then. <laughs> and you've got some Ella Campaign on hand. It, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the liver. Now, let's say it possibly could be the liver. What is something that... Any of the liver love and herbs would be wonderful and easy to add in. Okay. Burdock, dandelion, yellow dock, chicory, or any thistle seed. Milk thistle seed is the okay. primary one that people talk about, but any thistle seed will work. You don't need all of them. Any one of them will do. 
Now, I have dried milk thistle seed. Can I do anything with that? You can make tincture with it. I mean, really, what's the difference between dried seed and fresh seed? Nothing. Right. Right? So dried, dried seed is the equivalent of fresh seed, except it's a little, um, has a little less water in it, so you can't fill the jar full of dried seed and then fill it full of your vodka or you'll break your jar. It'll expand, yeah. <laughs> will expand, exactly. But yeah, dried seeds are the equivalent of fresh seeds in every way, mm-hmm. except for the fact that they're a little drier. Mm-hmm. All right. I so enjoyed talking to you, and I'm aware that there's other people waiting. Yes. So let's say green blessings and goodbye for now. I'm hoping you'll call back sometime. All right. Thank you, Susan. <laughs> Good night. Good night. The next caller is coming from the 504 area code. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, so I am African, and so... Um, my hair has these very, very tight curls, and at times it can be unmanageable, um, and at times it hurts when I put a comb through, and I don't want to chemically process my hair, and I wanted to know if you have any idea of what nature has to offer me for this. I was taking a walk in Florida, and there was an African woman sitting at a table with a big jar coconut oil and since it was in florida it was coconut oil here of course in my bathroom it looks more like coconut cream because it solidifies and she was rubbing that into her scalp and through her hair and her hair was unkinking okay i'd never seen anything like it i mean it was a smallish park, and I was going for my steps for the day, so I was walking around and around and around the park so that I could see her for, a, you know, the 20 or 30 minutes that I was walking. And I should actually see this process from, you know, starting out with that pretty unmanageable, all the little kinks and curls are all tight together, to her going in there, getting her fingers into the scalp with the coconut and just gently starting to pull it through the hair and pull it through the hair and just seeing all of that becoming happier. Mm-hmm. The first time I went to Jamaica, the very first thing that happened to me was that the women in the marketplace grabbed me, set me down, and braided my hair. And then I didn't have to worry about whether my hair was manageable or unmanageable or wet or dry because it was just in all of these braids, which they put pretty beads on. And that's pretty traditional, right? We can see that like in Egyptian iconography from Northern Mm -hmm. Africa. So that's kind of the other way around. Uh, Of just saying, okay, it's never going to be manageable, so great, I won't manage it. I'll just Mm -hmm. braid it up. And they told me I could leave those braids in for a year. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, the longest said, I've ever gone is four months with braids. <laughs> right. And I, de- I was able to shampoo my hair and do just about anything I wanted with those braids right there. Mm-hmm. I was pretty amazed. Okay. So it's you know it's 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 only that style. It's not, it's not like you get a choice when you choose that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's certainly you know one one way to do it. Okay. And a way in a way that that meets my personal requirements for prettiness. And we all have <laughs> different, different ideas of what's pretty. Mm-hmm. So with that coconut oil, um, do you think she washed it after? I mean, I, that sounds pretty greasy. Doesn't it, though? That would yeah. be my, my guess is that she, like, wrapped it. I didn't stay. You know, she was still sitting there doing it when I was done with my steps for the day. And uh-huh. that would be my guess is that she would, you know, wrap that up, you know, maybe even put one of those plastic rain bonnets on to go home mm-hmm. and then leave it for a while and wash it out. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I've heard some people who use coconut creams or something on their hair, but I've never tried anything like that. So, okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Susan. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Great question. Three blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. wonder if my son will let me put coconut oil on his hair. He has red curly hair, and it has similar issues. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when Justine was a child, it was really, you know, a battle royale to get her hair combed. And finally, I just said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to fight with you. We don't have to comb your hair. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, it just gets so messy, and they, his dreadlocks in the back, and I mean, I know. <laughs> he has such a sensitive scalp and all of that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't suppose he'd go for a buzz cut, huh? What's that? Oh, he we cut it short last year, and he didn't like it at all. Like at first, he was like, it it was nice, but then he was like missing his hair. So yeah, he wants to grow out long now, <laughs> of course. And he's how okay. old now? He's eight. Mhm. Yeah. Okay. Well, in my book, eight is old enough to carry your own hair. He wants long hair. He combs it. <laughs> I know it's, it's. I mean, easier said than done. <laughs> Trying to get him to do things sometimes. No, 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 no. That's not the hard part. The hard part is. Letting him do it or not do it and standing back. That's the hard part. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because we want to run in there and say, okay, well, you're doing a poor job. I'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, can can we be willing to just say, okay, that's what you want? Fine. It's okay. I know. I was it just is- telling Telling. I was just telling him this morning, though, like how much responsibility I had at his age, and it's just I feel like I'm always doing stuff for him, and I I know I know I need to change my habits of doing that, but it's hard for me. So <laughs> you walk two miles to school uphill both ways, right? Yeah, I was like responsible. <laughs> I mean, my mom was a 
nurse and like was never home and like I was you know a latchkey kid like was always and so it's like now I have this child two children that I you know basically hold hands with to <laughs> take them to and fro and yeah parenting styles change yeah well thankfully too because our parents kicked us out the front door and to go out and play mm-hmm. And they would call us home for dinner. That was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and wow, you know, I, I you probably remember a few years back, some mother allowed her, I don't even remember how old this child was, I think it was like 12-year-old son, to take the subway home alone from school in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And there was this huge uproar about what a bad parent she was. Yeah. But she's not. You were taking the subway alone when you were 12, right, Mick? Oh, yeah. 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 Well, we even this summer, my son had a bus pass with his friend, and they, we, um, you know, his his friend's parents live on or work on the bus line, so they would take the bus out to this trampoline park by themselves. His friend's nine, and he's eight, and go, go at independence, and it was really good for them. It was, yeah, <laughs> you got to let go a little bit, but <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yes, that is the hard part, not getting him to do it, but letting go. Yeah, yeah. All right, we'll move on to our next caller in the 404 area code. Hello. Hi. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for taking my call. I um, am really enjoying listening to your show, and I wanted to thank the woman who shared her goat story. I think that was just so incredible and to know about the goats. And uh, I'm sitting here wishing I had the problem with the hair because I don't have any hair. <laughs> and I would love to have thick hair that would be unmanageable, but I guess that's just the way it goes. The reason um, I was calling, I wanted to ask you, I've been experiencing some slight hiding at night, and uh, this also happened to me last year around the same time and possibly even the year before um, when I go to bed, I, like, I just start itching a little, and it's not really, really bad, but I was reading on one of your sites um, that calendula might help, and I wanted to ask you about that. Well, it's always interesting to me when something comes up at only one time or at only one place. And so when that happens, in other words, you're not saying, oh, all day long, here and there, throughout the day, this mild itching, you're saying just when you go to bed? Well, I I will say that in the fall, I tend to have um, more allergies in general. Um, With the change of weather, for whatever reason, or the, you know, the growth or just the, the, uh, the plants, or I'm not really sure exactly why, but, um, you know, I do have very sensitive skin in general, and um, but the hiding thing, um, so it, it's 
I can't remember having this. You're actually the getting hives kids. when you get into bed? Is that what you're saying? Well, well, it's at, at night when I will lay down and read or whatever, um, I'll just, you know, it'll be itching and I look and I, I don't scratch it because I've learned over the years having, you know, slight skin issues that scratching it always makes it worse. Um, you know, it's just slightly hiding. Um, not really my breast, but my my. So when you say it's slightly hiving, what you mean is that the area is slightly swollen and red. Yes. Yes. Okay. Like um, yes, and you know, not not my breast, but like above my breast, um, on my chest is really red. Now it doesn't itch, but then like under my breast where my my breast, you know, like kind of folds over. <laughs> Over my um, uh-huh. uh, okay, so over it, so it's not yes. just you lie down, but there, but in general, your skin is fairly sensitive to a variety of things, and yes. when you are laying still, when you end your day and lay still, you begin to notice these areas which may yes. have been there or maybe are just coming out when you lay down. That's possible, yes. And you don't itch them, but they are itchy, but it's not unbearably itchy. And they are slightly raised and slightly red. And may I ask about the kinds and amount of fat in your diet? Well, I don't eat eat meat except for fish and uh, occasionally some chicken. Mm -hmm. Um, I do probably eat uh, more carbohydrates than I should. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been eating more sugar lately. Um, mm-hmm. So, and, and I really Egg? try to stay away from refined Eggs? sugar completely. Eggs, cheese? I do. Yeah, I, I do eat eggs. I don't eat very much cheese, but I do eat cheese. About um, how many eggs in a week do you eat? Probably, say, maybe five or seven. Getting there. Yeah. The first thing that I always think of whenever anybody has sensitive skin is that they are Mm -hmm. not getting enough fat in their diet. Okay. And the fat that you most need is the fat from animals. Right. If you hate animals so much that you won't eat them, then the very least you need is to eat a lot of cheese, a lot of full-fat dairy, and a lot of eggs. But okay. I beg you to please consider loving animals and eating them. Well, I do. I do love them. And, um, That's what I mean. Loving, you, know, I really, when you love something, you really, want it in your body. When you love something, you yeah. want it. When you love something, you cherish it, and you see how magnificent it is, and you want it to be part of you. Rejecting something is not love and never will be. Well, that's a a very good way to look at it. Thank you. Um, So cherish the animals. Cherish the gifts of the animals. I'm not suggesting that you start eating bacon for breakfast and bologna for lunch and pork chops for dinner. I'm suggesting that you... Once a month, have a real piece of red meat. Uh-huh. 
Well, I and that you know, get more fatty fish and more eggs and more cheese and full fat dairy into your diet. Are you eating fatty fish four times a week? I'm not eating fish four times a week. Then you, uh, then you are doing yourself a very big disservice. There was a okay. person here in Woodstock who said, golly gee, everybody in Woodstock is famous. I want to be famous for something. What can I be famous for? And they decided what they'd be famous for was to go to all the famous people in Woodstock and ask them for a recipe and then put out a book of the recipes of famous Woodstock people, which is exactly what they did. It was a lot of fun. It was a great book. And they had a big, you know, book event when the book came out. And all of the famous people in Woodstock who had put in a recipe were invited to come and do their famous thing or sell their famous thing or whatever it was. So I was in the section of the famous authors. And the woman right next to me had the no-fat cookbook, the low-fat cookbook, the cook-without-fat cookbook. And about half an hour into this event, she leans over to me, pulls back her blouse, and shows me this patch of slightly hived skin. I'll use your description because that's a very good description. It was slightly raised, slightly red, looked a little bit rashy. And she said, what can you tell me about this? I said, what I can tell you is that you are destroying your health with this, with the way you're eating. And my RX for you, I said to her, is I want you, after this event, to go out and buy a pound of organic butter. And I want you to eat that within the next week. Okay. I can do that. <laughs> okay. And she called me back three weeks later, and she said it took her two weeks to go out and get the butter. She just was horrified at what I was saying. And then when she did, she said, oh, my gosh. She said, I hope somebody burns all my books. They're horrible. What a terrible thing to, to promote this no-fat idea, I said, especially cholesterol, and especially as we age. That animal fat, which is the same as the fat in your body, is the fat that you need for healthy aging and healthy skin. Meanwhile, are you are you drinking nourishing herbal infusions? No, I'm not. All right, that's I'm, the next step. Start drinking okay. your nourishing herbal infusions. Your hair will get thicker and bouncier and nicer, and your skin will get thicker and better too. So those are the two things I would do if I was concerned about the health of my skin and the health of my hair is to drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day with a special emphasis on nettle, which is so wonderful for luscious hair, and comfrey, which builds remarkably strong and flexible skin. And eat animal fat at every meal. I will try that. I definitely will. And um, I wanted to ask you also, where do you think the best source of um, herbs, good herbs, can you tell me? Or I think is there a the best source of the United States. We have such a vibrant herb culture in the United uh-huh. States. There's many other countries where I go to where really there's only one or two places where you can get uh-huh. herb. And here we have so many excellent, excellent choices. And each one has its own special uniqueness. I have bought herb from Frontier Herbal Co-op for a very long time. I like the fact that they are a workers' co-op, 
and that I get a tiny, tiny uh, bit of money back every year because I'm a member too. We're all members. You have to be a member. So it's a real co-op. Mountain Rose Herb is a lovely company, and it so supports herbalists, herbal conferences, and herbalism in the United States, and we all give them a really, really big hug for that. Um, Pacific Botanicals. Um, Why can I never remember? What's the name of that other herbal company that sells my books that for some reason, I Star West Botanicals. Star West Botanicals. They're wonderful. So those are some of the major players. And each one of those has its own unique thing that it's doing. And I suggest that you, you know, kind of ask for their catalogs or go to their websites and then see which one seems to fit in best with what you want. Pacific Botanicals, for instance grows almost all of their own herbs. It's a lot more expensive. But wow, you really know the provenance of it. You know where it's coming from. And depending on what you want and what you want to do with it, uh, they will overnight ship fresh herb to you. So if you want to make a picture of fresh herb, yeah, then Pacific Botanicals is going to support you in doing that. Risk Frontier and Mountain Rose and Star West are, aren't selling that. There's a wonderful place in Canada called Richter's, and Richter sells plants to grow as well as seeds for plants to grow. And I think they also do sell some dried herb, but uh, most people in the United States are working with American distributors. There's another really funny place called A. Mary Herb, and I don't suggest it for novices because there's basically – so far as I can tell, there's no real quality control at a Mary Herb. You're the quality control. And if you, and the prices are, you know, they put themselves out as um, three boys in a warehouse, so they have no overhead. <laughs> so their price can be very, very low. Uh, but you better know what you're doing. Right, you right. And as That's I said, the, these, these are just some of the players. It's wonderful, thriving, thriving herbal Playground in this the United is, This is great information. I love your book and I love your show. Thank you so much for talking with me. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Rebecca, how many people do we still have blinking? We have three more callers until Isla arrives. Okay. All right. Let's see. The next caller is coming from the 845 area code. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm well. I hope you are, too. Thank you. Um, Susan, I have um, currently um, a struggle with um, ovarian cysts. So I have three children, all of which I've delivered through cesarean section. And I am severely struggling with um, cystic pain on my right ovary. So I'm just wondering what I can do to um, alleviate the pain and possibly remove uh, the cyst. Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet, was a very big fan of castor oil. Mm. The simplest castor oil treatment is to take a piece of flannel, that can be an old piece of flannel sheet or any flannel you have from a shirt or something, 
and it doesn't have to be big, about the size of a washcloth is good. And saturate that with castor oil. And then fold it and wrap aluminum foil around it mm-hmm. so that it's tight and doesn't drip. And put it in the oven until it gets hot. Stick around. Don't stick it in the oven and go off. Because if you haven't wrapped it mm-hmm. up tight enough, it'll drip and it'll smoke and it'll make a mess. And you'll see why I said wrap it up really tight. And when it's hot, you can apply that hot castor oil pack. Don't burn your skin. Be loving and careful with yourself. And apply that hot castor oil pack to any area where you would like to dissolve something. I have seen people dissolve bone spurs with three applications of castor oil. Traditionally, the castor oil pack is left on until it cools. There are those who will slap a piece of plastic wrap over the uh, castor oil pack when they put it on to hold that heat in. And it's a wise idea to keep the, that castor oil stuff as gooey and gets everywhere yuck. And there are those who will then put a towel over that and a heating pad or even the heating pad on the plastic, depending on how they feel about it and how they feel about that heat. For some people, they say, ah, the sensation of that heat deep in the tissues, and it feels to them like the heat is just pulling and pulling what they don't want out. And other people say, oh, the heat, you know, has the opposite kind of effect for them. So... Again, pay attention to yourself. What Do what works for yourself. The mm-hmm. castor is, as I said, traditionally applied hot, but that doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Okay. Now, in Japan, what they would do is to get a cake of silken tofu, the soft stuff, and smush it up and put it on the ovary cold. And Mm -hmm. leave it there until it achieves body temperature and then wash it off. Mm, Interesting. Poultices and packs tend to be more effective when used frequently for a short time rather than infrequently for a long time. Okay. It's not anybody's inclination. Our inclination is always, okay, well, if I'm going to get myself to do this, then I'm going to, like, do it for an hour. Right. Right. And and you get really easily twice the results by doing it three times for five minutes than by doing it once for an hour. Okay. So, and, hey, life happens. Whatever we can do, sometimes I say, hey, look, I did it once. Hooray for me. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right, exactly. Uh, okay. And I'm uh, going to say green blessings and move on to the next caller. Thank you. You're welcome. The next caller is coming from a private number. Hello. Do you know who you are? Yeah. Here. Hi. Hello. Hi. What's up tonight? Oh, am I on? Okay. Hi, Susan. I actually am um, calling from Canada, and I think I'm using a calling card, which is why I think it's coming as a private number, so sorry about that. 
Um, can you hear me still? Because there was no. Yes, I can hear you I... very well. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so I've been. Um, I won't use the word taking because you've already mentioned that. Thank you. Up... Drinking nourishing herbal infusions. I've been drinking nourishing herbal infusions for about two years. I'm 41 years old and have never conceived ever. I've been married for a long time, though, and I, I did see a few OB-GYNs, and they all said everything is fine for myself and my spouse. Um, so they obviously recommended in vitro, and something within me reso- didn't resonate with that, so I didn't go through with that at all. So I've never gone through that route. Um, and so I've been doing the infusions, like you say, one at a time, But in the last eight months or so, I've been also taking some of the tinctures because I felt really, really tired, and I suspect that perhaps the adrenals might be involved here. So what I'm taking right now is yellow dock tincture, motherwort, St. Joneswort, schizandra, red clover, ashwagandha, and chase tree. So I just wanted to know, are these... Where are they individual tinctures? They are. They're individual tinctures, and they're by St. Francis Organic Herb Farm in Canada, so in Ontario, Canada. Okay, and are they made with, with grain alcohol, high-proof alcohol? They're made with alcohol. They don't use grain alcohol. I think they use the 99% proof because I did call about that. And That's grain alcohol. Okay. Okay. So they weren't quite sure. 99% was- called grain alcohol. So my response to that is way too much, uh-huh. way okay. too many plants to be taking. Okay. None of them have any effect on the adrenals. Okay. And okay. it's kind of like um, trying to kill a pigeon with a shotgun. You'll probably kill the pigeon, but there won't be anything left to eat. Yeah. I, so I. Yeah. I was. My mother's kind of told me that she's like. This is a lot. Yeah, I had to hear from you, so. So it's just um, stinging nettle infusion will improve your adrenals. Yeah. Tired has not necessarily to do with your adrenals. Uh Being tired can mean that... um, I'm sorry, how did you say you were and you don't have to tell me if you don't want to? Oh, that's fine. I'm 41. Mm-hmm. Being tired can mean that you are moving into your menopausal years. Yeah? Yeah. But I've been tired for... I had a, I had a very stressful work situation many years before, and I do have some stressors in my life, so maybe that's... Um, mm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Contributing to to the fact, but well, what, I do get up. What I'm saying very, is, if you're, drink, if you're drinking your nettle infusion, your adrenals are being rebuilt, and it really okay, doesn't so take that. Okay. Right. Well, I I did. Well, I've I mean, actually I, seen results in kidney function tests within six weeks. Really? So maybe I just wasn't taking enough. I do take the one ounce. I take a one cup of the, you know, in the measuring. Because I don't weigh it, and then I put Excuse it in Excuse me, my... one ounce is not a cup. One ounce is a weight. You have to weigh it. You're not making nourishing herbal infusions if you're not weighing it. I have no way to... I have no... 
please. So you go to any office supply store and buy a scale. Okay, I'll do a that. postal scale. Okay. They're, they're okay. under $25. Yeah, it's fine. I'll get one. It's not that it, that I'm suggesting that you go to some great expense. If I knew where to tell you to get them, there are also tiny little balance scales that sell for $2. Yeah, well, no, I'll get Now that you yeah, told me you that. You're drinking nourishing herbal infusions. You've been messing around for two years. Yeah, well, I mean, I thought where it was, does it was it a Anywhere, where have I ever said use a cup of herbs? Well, it says an ounce, so that's what I kind of... Ounce is not a cup. A cup is eight ounces. It's eight ounces? One cup is eight ounces of fluid, but we're weighing. An ounce yeah. by weight is what I say. Mm-hmm. You do say that over and over. Over and over and over and over. <laughs> because people won't do it, will you? And then you'll tell no. me you're drinking infusions when you're not. Yeah, so probably it's way underdosed, so that's why. Right. Mm-hmm. Get a scale, so, weigh out one ounce of herb, put it in your quart jar. If you're on the metric system, weigh out 30 grams of herb and put it in your liter jar. It's all good. Fill okay. it to the top of the boiling water, put a lid on it. Yeah, that all I do. Everything I do to the tea and the herbs are really high quality. All the rest of it I do. It's just, I guess, the, you know. The, the, the first step, step number one, yeah. weigh out the herb. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that I'll, you know, yeah. I will do that okay. going forward. And then I think you will see some difference in your adrenals. Yeah, and so um, just, so so oh, what do I do? I just... The other thing about being tired is that sometimes people are tired because their diets are inadequate. Mm. Wow. And so if there's any food stuff that you have thrown out of your diet, like meat or dairy products, then may I suggest that that alone is reason enough for you to be tired? Um, well, I don't eat meat. Yeah, so, well, that right there, bingo. But I haven't eaten. I mean, I'm I'm vegetarian. I'm by background. I'm so sorry so. to hear it. Yeah. Why do you hate animals? I don't. I I eat lots of dairy. Something you love, you want in your body. Something you love, you admire so much, you want to be one with it. If I said to you, I love you, and you can't come in my house, would you feel loved? No. I'd well, feel rejected. Hey, isn't that what you're telling me? I'm telling you the truth. You hate animals, and that's why you're not eating them. Turn over a new leaf. Start loving the animals and eat them. But I eat lots of ghee and butter and paneer and cheese. It's not enough. I I... You need animals in your diet. So like meat and fish? Really? Meat and fish, you bet. Okay. Fish four times a week and meat once a week now for remedial work. And your body will have no problem with it. I've dealt with people who've been vegetarian for 25, 30 years, and I send them to the cafeteria to eat meat, and they go back for thirds. (laughs) 
Okay. Inhale. So I, I had three people and only five minutes a person. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I can call you back, talk. but so what do I do with the tinctures? Do I do away with do them? With or? I think you make an altar with them. <laughs> and, you know, Isla Burgess, who I'm just about to interview, um, I, I said to her, wow, that was a great idea. You had about tonics, and she hadn't even remembered that she had this idea that she took a tonic like Shisandra, and she took it daily for six weeks, and then she went on to the next tonic and took that daily for six weeks, and that way she got to know each one of them. Okay. Looks like you have but a year's safe. worth laid out there, right? Pardon? It looks like you have a year's worth of six weeks per tincture, right? Yeah, I have quite a bit. So, okay, so I, but they're safe to use if I want to conceive or in pregnancy, these ones that I listed, or? Hello? Your question is too general. Oh. Is it safe to eat basil if you want to get pregnant? Is it safe to eat parsley if you want to get pregnant? In normal amounts, but both basil and parsley are abortifacients. Yeah, they're analytics. Yeah. Okay. So your question is just way too general, isn't it? So I take two mils of these tinctures daily. So if I continue two mils of a single tincture... I am saying take one tincture. Mm-hmm. One. One tincture. One tincture daily for six weeks. Then take another one daily for six weeks. Okay. I am not saying take them throughout and you're taking two mils of each tincture wow really yeah and so i'm going to give you a cup of mashed potatoes and a cup of peas and a cup of gravy because i'm just going to give you the same dose of everything on your plate that has no connection to the plants at all what you're doing i would like you to slow down please focus mm-hmm. on one plant mm-hmm. take that one plant and get to know it and decide what your dose should be. Two mils sounds like an awful lot. Okay. I'm a much, I work with much smaller doses. For most things, okay. I suggest that people start with five drops and work up. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Here comes Isla. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Green blessing. Let me just make sure this is her. She was calling him with Skype, but I think that this uh, is this you, Isla? I can. Yes, I can hear you. Hi, Isla. Hi, honey. Oh, I am so happy you are here. Isla Burgess is, is, as I said at the beginning of the show, one of my favorite people on the planet, and a magnificent. Herbalist, we have known each other for getting on close to 40 years here, and um, our lives have crisscrossed and met and and bound themselves together in so many delicious and wonderful ways. I have had times with Rena in the United States. I have been in New Zealand, where where uh, Isla lives. And um, I I just can't say how marvelously she has changed my life and how her sensitivity and and real 
sincerity with the plants has impacted so many of us. Isla has been through many ways of looking at the world, says her bio, and the plant world in particular. She now believes that plants are intelligent life forms capable of self-expression, and she got a Master of Science in Holistic Science in 2008, which set her on the journey of a lifetime. Every day that Isla lives on this land in the wilds of Centro, Central Otago, New Zealand, she lives as a participant in an extraordinary place, and that is true. Following from her very practical book, Weeds Heal, a working herbal written in 1998, Isla wrote a second book that includes experiences of living on the land among these extraordinary beings, these intelligent plants. And that book is called The Biophilic Garden, Connecting People, Plants, and Landscape. Welcome, welcome to the show, Isla. Kia ora, <laughs> Kiora is what she's saying. Kiora, which is the standard greeting in New Zealand. Kiora, indeed. Wow. Well, we have only half an hour, so let's jump right in. Tell us about the biophilic garden, and maybe you need to even start with telling us what biophilic means. Okay. In, in, a, in a very formal way. It, biophilia was a term that was coined by an evolutionary biologist called Edward O. Wilson. And he stated that as being the unconscious need that humans have to experience the natural world. Now, I go a wee bit further than that and... I think that deep within us, there is an evolutionary connection. And the more we live with, among, as a participant, as I said, with the plants that grow around us, the more we are part of them and they are part of us. So it's a little bit like... um, the the tūhoi tauhanga, kind of like a Māori uh, um, shaman, he said, you know, it's not that the plants speak to me or anything like that, but that the more time I spend hanging out with them, the more I understand what it is that their lives are about. And that feeling of being involved in that deep, deep connection is what I think now biophilia is. Wow. Biophilia, the connection, the actual feeling connection that we have with the plants and the other life forms that we live with. Yes. And of course, I mean, you you and I have often talked about this, but we know that the plants grow up with in our 
landscape, our environment. We get to know them, how they are each year, how they respond to gathering, what this climate's going to do this year to those plants. It's, it's a deeper sense of getting it than, of course, if we're using them for medicine, we're using them away more wisely. Because we know just how much we can gather that year and, I think, know how much our bodies need too when we're that connected. You still there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. Yeah, I can hear yes, Michael and I were at a, a small gathering, and people were, as is fairly common, uh, complaining <coughs> about how uh, nowadays all the young people have their nose stuck in a telephone and there's no social conversation going on anymore at all. And I say yeah. nothing when I hear people talking like this. But um, if you go back 100, 150 years, you will find exactly the same kind of rants about reading. Yeah. All the young people have their noses stuck in books. It's ruining their moral fiber. The world is coming to naught. What's the wrong, you know, with this with this cult of reading? <laughs> now we can read. <laughs> Think it a great social good that people read. <laughs> yeah. But but what it has done, starting with the reading, is it has convinced us that things that we can't smell or taste are real. Yeah. And so yeah. we have begun, and certainly much more now, to have a real confusion about what might actually be real. And I think um, the, the biophilic garden sets us right back in the middle of real. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for that, because that was the intending of that, was to bring that, to give people some guidelines and some practices so that they could feel that uh, the natural world in which they live. And it doesn't matter whether you've got you know, a tiny wee section or a vast area of land like you and I. Right. Now, in, the, in this beautiful, beautiful book, and one of the reasons it's beautiful is that you have visited with these plants over and over and over again and photographed parts of them. Yes. I'm thinking about the motherwort, and it looks to me like you took a photograph of motherwort leaves every week or so. Well, what I try to do, Susan, is um, get a sense, you know, if we just take that one photo... We've got a little uh, kind of of that moment in time for that plant. But if we visit over time and move with that plant through its whole growth cycle, then we get the sense of its life and what it's about. And that's why I love the idea do you remember years and years ago, I remember you stood up at a Rosemary Gladstone conference and you said, actually, I think we should all just study one plant for a whole year. Well, I agree. I think we should. 
it was Gene Houston who turned me on to the idea that we can go a mile deep and an inch wide or a mile wide and an inch deep. Yeah, agreed. Yes. And, and I'm, I, I mean, I've taught at yeah. naturopathic colleges. You've taught at naturopathic colleges, which is the essence of a mile wide and an inch deep when it comes to herbal medicine. Yes, yeah. That's They're such given, a good way to Yeah. Yeah, and, and it certainly it is one approach. We're not saying that, that it's that it's a wrong approach or that it's a bad approach in any way at all, but that there's a different approach, and that different approach involves slowing our human behavior down so that it is more congruent with the time frame of this planet. Yes, yes. And in that, in that slowing down, the, your life, the life, the daily life becomes richer because you see so much more and you notice so much more. I've just read this wonderful book on bumblebees called A Sting in the Tail. And now I'm looking at every bumblebee's bums to see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working up a, a monograph on Go to Cola, which of course took me to, to nootropic websites. And nootropics are substances and herbs that affect the functioning of the brain, specifically to improve the brain's ability to, to focus and to, to remember things. And this one particular site had a picture of, you know, the classic naked savages with the bow. And they, the caption read, our ancestors didn't have to know very much at all. <laughs> Nowadays, you are required to know so much more. And like you, I just sat there and laughed. <laughs> um, I think one of the, the important things to do now actually, if I'm thinking about the life ahead for me, is to explore the plant's wholeness, not only in the ways I've just been you know, talking about or I talk about in, in the biophilic garden, but exploring a plant's wholeness because in the linearity of thinking in the world, this plant is now only useful for this. But what else does it do? You think of nettles. I mean, pretty amazing. I heard a little bit about nettles before. And, you know, just a whole body effect. And yet we think of nettles being nutritional and we forget of all the ways in which that works in the body. And I think I think we misrepresent a plant by reducing it to actions for this or that condition. So I try and my current course participants to think more holistically. And instead of actions, I've been calling what the plant uh, is about their affinity. 
And yep, I mean, we could say dandelion has an affinity for the liver, but it has other affinities. Right, it has an affinity for the breasts. It has an affinity for the pancreas. It had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I was talking I like, to Kathy yeah. Cavill, and she does a, a herbal series that is focused on body systems. So she teaches, you know, the herbs for this body system, the herbs for that body system, and she says the only herb that's in every single lesson of that course is nettle. Well, you know, I, I, I'm going to disagree with her because I think I think it's because we have limited ourselves exploration of that plant. So, for example, burdock, that we both know so well, burdock's adaptogenic if we want to give it that action. I mean, it, it has a whole body affinity as well. So I, I'm trying to think in the, the big picture of the plant rather than the reduction that we read in most of the medicinal herbals. In other words, what I've taken to saying is I'm more interested in the passive ingredients than the active ingredients. Yeah, right. Yes. Because there's a lot more of them. Yes, that's right. That's right. I mean, they're just such incredibly complex beings. Um, yes. And you know that is that for your new book? No, it's for the, my Healthy Life radio show, which I'm going to be recording this Thursday, which we'll be playing next month. There's not a lot of room in the new book for a lot of herbal information, strangely enough, because it is the seven medicines where there's a lot of herbal information. And I really like this. And maybe I'm not supposed to like my stuff, but I really like this part where I talk about pharmaceutical medicine. I have uh, 13 two-page spreads, and on the left-hand side of the page will be anti-hypertensive herbs or um, sleep-inducing herbs, and on the right-hand side of the page will be the drugs that do are, are the drugs that do the same thing. So you have them side by side, the drugs and the herbs, and can see what the side effects of the single focus, single molecule drug remedies are as compared to what you and I are talking about in terms of the wholeness that is evoked by the herbal remedies. Yes, yeah, yeah. I quite like, um, I'm sure you've got Guido Mathe's book, The Wild Medicine Solution. I think he was a student of yours, actually, was he? He's from... Uh, I certainly have spent time with Guido, and it is, he is a wonderful, wonderful person. Um, well, I like that book because the section on bitters really gives you to understand that if you eat dandelion every day and cook them as you would spinach and make vinegar out of them, then you are affecting all those bitter receptors that are everywhere in the body. And I recently read on a, I think it was fairly reputable, I'm a a little bit um, cautious in, in saying this, but I recently read on a vast analysis of the 
pro-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory effects of, of certain foods. Well, dandelion, half a cup of cooked dandelion greens came out so much in the anti-inflammatory marker that you think, well, you know, I'm going to hedge my bets and I'm going to eat half a cup of dandelion greens every day. Why not? I had my half a cup for dinner. I love the fall dandelion greens. I know you're moving into your spring. And most books say, oh, spring dandelion greens. I find them very, very bitter. I really go for the dandelion greens in the fall. And I went out to my uh, CSA farm, and uh, the dandelions were thriving where they had taken down the rows of things that weren't bearing anymore. And I was able to harvest over two pounds of dandelion greens. Now, I wonder, do you think you could put them and freeze them and they'd still be pretty good? Absolutely. Absolutely. I thought that would be a way of, I mean, of course, we can do the vinegar too, but if you really wanted to just have those greens, you could imagine taking them out. I make them, I make a, I cook the dandelion and then I put tamari and um, garlic. Yep. Yeah, me too. that hol- that holds it in the refrigerator. I can eat that. It'll stay good in the refrigerator for up to a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I do that too. I call it, I call it stir fried dandelion. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff, and and it's so easily available to everyone all over the world. Yeah, and I mean, I think well, my spring dandelions now they're not too bitter. Well, I don't think so. Um, and, you know, others might beg to differ. But I also, I have a tunnel house where I grow a lot of greens here because it's a very cold winter. And I my and the dandelions survive in there. So, <laughs> the only thing is, they've got clocks at the moment and they're just spreading everywhere. I'm going to have gazillions of baked uh oh. Those weeds have a way of getting around, don't they? They do. I actually do scotch your cola in my. I've got a little conservatory uh, in my home, and um, I have scotch your cola growing very happily in there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I eat three leaves a day, Susan. Three leaves a day. Yes, that's what I've been reading, that people are saying that three leaves a day. That in um, Sri Lanka, they noticed that the elephants ate a lot of go-to-cola. Really? And they looked at how much the elephants ate, and then they reduced it down to human dose, and that, that's where they came up with the three leaves a day. A day. Um, I don't know where I read that, but... So... You know, again, I think it's a lot more than brain function. And because you think of its topical actions of um, reducing scar tissue and, you know, for kids with, that have had past uh, glue ear problems, um, treating the scar tissue in there. I mean, there are lots and lots of other applications. I feel for that plant. 
So I might grow a few more pots. From, from what I was reading from James Duke, you know, I was thinking, wow, go to cola is as good as a facelift. You know, it improves your collagen production. It causes the, the fibroblasts to reconnect strongly and to improve the surface of the skin. Like, whoa. <laughs> so I'm, I'm with you. You know, the, the research on healing from wounds with Gotacola is stunning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing that I learned about improving collagen for all those women that are listening to us and want want a face mask um, was fumetry. Ordinary rambling fumetry. And that came from Wojtek Kalzinski who is one of the most remarkable herbal medicine practitioners in I'm, Melbourne. I'm not, I'm not getting what you're saying. Ordinary what? Uh, fumetry. Fumeria. Aficionalis. Oh, okay. Not a plant that's very common here. Fumatory. Really? Oh, wow. It scrambles everywhere here. Ah, I've seen it growing maybe once. Right. Okay. And I think Echinacea, too, has some uh, collagen building uh, capacities. I should I should send you a copy of my face mask, Susan. Oh yes, I would love it. What fun! Work out a way to share it with people. Uses egg white. Okay, <laughs> yay, egg white. I want to remind everyone that this is Susan Weed, and I am talking with Isla Burgess, and that she is the author of two fabulous books. Weeds Heal, A Working Herbal, which was her first book, and her newest book, The Biophilic Garden, Connecting People, Plants, and The Inscape. And if they want to get in touch with you, Isla, or want to get your books, what's the best thing for them to do? Uh, Linda Conroy uh, carries my books in the U.S., and that's Moonwise Herbs. So she has them if you need it mailed. And also that gorgeous Flower Power Herbs and Roots in New York has the biophilic garden. Yay. Wonderful. People were in moonwiseherbs.com, which connects you to Linda Conroy. And yes. the wonderful Midwest Women's Herbal Gathering um, is the best place to get your copy of Isla Burgess's books, Weeds Heal or the Biophilic Garden. Yes. And um, do you have a website? Do you also have a website? Yes, I do. So it's just. Um, IslaBurgess.com www.islaburgess.com That's I-S-L-A B-U-R-G-E-S-S IslaBurgess.com If you want to check in on the things that Isla is currently doing. One of the things that I learned from you, Isla, that I have now using a lot with people is to have them 
after they have sat with their plant and been breathing with it for 10 minutes a day for 10 days, I now ask them to start a journal of 100 things they observe about the plant. And I always honor you when I do that. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Well, 100, Susan. I do 70. (laughs) They can get 100. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. And, you know, sometimes it really helps even if you're not good at drawing, but it just helps to draw, you know, start with the plant with the first two leaves above the ground and just fetch it quickly, even three or four times a week, will yield insights. That's interesting because that used to be the second assignment was to draw the plant. And people had so much difficulty with that that I backed off and had them, you know, start their log of the things. And then the third assignment is to draw it. Yes. And actually I give an assignment to draw a botanically accurate drawing, which is really, you really have to look and really see how everything is put together, and to do any number of emotional drawings. Yes, I do that too, yes. And, yeah, and trying to get people to sense that, you know, how is this plant making them feel today? Not how they're feeling, but how oh. is it making them feel? And then describing that in, say, two or three um, qualities that are triggering that feeling today. And so, yeah, we do quite a lot of work with that. It's great. Oh, that is brilliant. I love that. I- Always, always such a delight. Our time, unfortunately, is ticking almost to its last. And I always like to give you, my guest, and you, my beloved, darling sister, mm, mm, the last word. What do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of everybody who's listening here tonight? Oh, um, more of the that we do in today's world, the better it is for the planet as a whole because we are taking notice. And in the taking notice, we are taking care. So that, to me, is a really, truly important experience for us to have, that biophilic experience for the future. Mm. Isla Burgess. Find her at islaburgess.com. Find her books at moonwise.com. And thank you, Isla. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being in the world. Thank you for being here for this interview and sharing with us and for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients and for being such a wonderful ally in returning herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. I love you, honey. Kiora, Kiora. Kiora. Good night, Rebecca. Good night, Justine. Good night, everybody. Green blessings. Good night.
Green blessings, everyone.